Welcome to Night Light. Step away from the mainstream and gather around as we enlighten the world and our realities and travel this cosmic journey we call life. Join us as we share with you and provide that beacon that can guide us all to a better way. Explore with us as we examine a metaphysical montage of spiritual insights covering everything from the mundane to the magical, UFOs to unicorns, and everything in between. This is a time of awakening, of sharing and evolving, of spreading our wings and soaring on the cosmic breath of creation. Come and join with other light-minded spirits as we weave our lights together to seek understanding, enlightenment, and with a little luck, some wisdom. This is Nightlight, a reminder that you are never alone. Tonight, we are asking you questions like, are there aliens out there waiting to detect some indication that we Earth people have advanced to a stage where we are ready to join them in a galactic federation? Is humankind bound to live on multiple planets in the future? Well, engineer Dr. Mark Carlotto is our guest, and he is applying his 40 years of experience in satellite imaging and pattern recognition to answer these questions. The search for evidence of intelligent life beyond Earth or SETI has been going on, well, about six decades, 60 years, but still no extraterrestrial signal of intelligent origin has been reported. Over this same 60-year period, Thousands of UFO sightings have been reported. The lack of government transparency on UFOs until recently has led many to believe in cover-ups and conspiracies to keep their existence from the public. In his new book called Not of This World, an emerging picture of the UFO phenomenon, independent researcher Mark Carlotto examines the most compelling UFO cases on record, including the Gulf Breeze sightings, Space shuttle videos, videos of crop circles and UFOs, Tic Tacs, and other UAP or unexplained aerial phenomena. Dr. Mark Carlotto is an engineer, scientist, and author with 40 years experience, as we've already said, in satellite imaging, remote sensing, image processing, and pattern recognition. He received his Ph.D. or his FUD in electrical engineering from Carnegie Mellon University in 1981. By the way, that's the same year I received my Ph.D. and has written over 100 technical papers and eight books. Outside of his occupation as an engineer in the aerospace industry, his journey as an independent scientist has taken him to Mars and back by way of planetary mysteries, local history, archaeology, and most recently, Ancient Origins, 
and UFOs. Welcome back to 21st Century Radio, Mark. Thanks, Dr. Bob. How are you? My pitching arm's pretty good. <laughs> How about yours? Uh, yeah, the Red Sox are pitching is better than we expected. Well, that's not so good for us Orioles down here. <laughs> I know, which is the first three games. Uh, yeah, and, that, and then we do that a lot, but then all of a sudden we end up in another place. Anyway, yeah. well, when we first talked in the 90s, you were studying the anomalies on Mars, that is the face and et cetera. How did you get involved in UFO research? Well, you know, when I... My my interest in the face was was pure curiosity, and and uh, I yeah you know I tried to gather some data. I did analysis. I wrote you know I wrote a paper based on my work, and I figured you know that would be it. Uh, then what I soon realized is there's more to this uh, to this arena than uh, than that. Uh, there's um, there's uh, you know interviews, and uh, you know you, you end up meeting people. Um, that are not directly related to, uh, you know, what you did, but you know, there, there's, there's some connections and, and you start networking and so forth. And I started getting uh, involved and in getting interested in, um, the UFO phenomenon from, uh, someone actually that is in, in the area, Dr. Bruce McAbee. Oh, Bruce. Yes. Yeah. Bruce, uh, uh had been looking at the Gulf breeze, uh, UFO case, mm-hmm. which is an extraordinary case. Yeah. And, um, there was um, a couple of images that he thought um, he, he had an opinion. He had already written his report, but he he said, you know, I just want to get a second opinion, what you thought. And um, these were some images taken with a Polaroid camera, an Instamatic, uh, that, you know, in his view would be very it'd be very hard to fake them. And even even if you did, there were some problems with that that theory. He believed they were authentic. And um, I did. Very little, really. Uh, Bruce's analysis uh, was incredible. He uh, very, very comprehensive. But what I was able to confirm was that there were no telltale signs in the images of, of any kind of tampering or, or double exposure. Uh, I talk about that a little bit in uh, Not of This World, uh, and that was really that's kind of how I got started. But it was it was very short lived because it was really not something um, I don't. At the time, it wasn't really, I didn't feel like it was part of my DNA. I wasn't, you know, I'm not really naturally skeptical. Uh, Bruce is very, you know, skeptical, healthy amount of skepticism, right? As, you know, as early UFO investigators had to be. Because, you know, so much of these early sightings, uh, many of them were faked. And even today, there's so many hoaxes. Um, That wasn't my nature. My nature was to kind of take the data at face value and then try to understand, okay, this is real. Uh, you know, apply some simple physical models and see what we could learn from it. Um, and I did that and, and um, you know, and then I kind of moved on. Uh, and, uh, I've, you know, I've seen Bruce over the years from time to time, but uh, it was, I thought that was it. I thought I was done and I kind of went back to Mars. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay. But the, the thing I was so fascinated about um, is the face on Mars, um that uh, we ever come to any kind of conclusion uh, other than what we were told by NASA in the beginning, and then later on they changed a bit of that. Uh, I mean, Richard Hoagland basically says that China has definitely been landed there, 
and taking the photograph of the face. Do you know anything about that? Is there any credibility in that? Uh, with, with Dick, you never know. Uh, well, that's the reason why I got to ask. I mean, <laughs> he gets mad he, at me he, an awful lot. I mean, you know. <laughs> he always ha- he has some very interesting sources uh, and some very interesting ideas. Um, and, I mean, he's, he's a, you know, as you know, a real controversial uh, individual. But, you know, I have to agree with, with Dick and uh, Vince DiPietro and, and uh, others that you know that have been on the show um, that have supported this research over the years. I mean, I think I think it's pretty solid evidence that uh, that at least the face is an artificially constructed um, uh, structure, that it's not a natural formation. Um, you know, at the time we proposed and did some analysis suggesting that some pre-existing landforms had been altered. Uh, but it's very deliberately altered to be, uh, you know, to have that face-like appearance. And, uh, you know, all these years later, I still hold to that, even with all this other imagery that's come out. Some of the early stuff uh, in the, well, in the late 90s uh, that, you know, quote-unquote disproved, um, you know, the face, according to NASA, actually provided some pretty strong evidence supporting our hypothesis. And uh, more recent imagery, I think, you know, goes back and, and is actually, you know, much better. Uh, there's some some images that are, uh, in fact, I've done some analysis on some of them using shape and shading and perspective mapping and so mm-hmm. forth, and it looks even more face-like. Uh, so I think, you know, it's held up, and I think at least the face is uh, is an artificially constructed feature. Uh, who did it? That's that's a whole other conversation. Yeah. Well, yeah, who did it? Do you, do you know yet? I mean... <laughs> <laughs> well, so, okay, so, uh, you know, not, there, everything is kind of connected. And in this, in, in uh, the, my new book, Not of This World, um, there are connections uh, to the Mars research and um, in, in particular, the, the whole question of, you know, you know, if, if it, Okay, there's four possibilities. Okay, the face could be a natural formation, so no big deal. Or if it is artificial, it could be either could have been built either by native Martians, an indigenous civilization that developed there, or by extraterrestrials, or by ancient aliens from Earth. Let's call them. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, NASA is very, very, uh, very much uh, against the the idea of of an advanced, uh, civilization in the form of, you know, visitors, extraterrestrial spacecraft and so forth and extraterrestrial archeology, span that's totally out of the question for them. So, you know, as far as NASA is concerned, there's no way aliens could have constructed a face on Mars because, Hey, UFOs don't, don't exist. So if UFOs don't exist, how could there be a face on Mars? They also are clear that, uh, Mars didn't have, uh, conditions suitable for life to have developed um, wasn't Earth-like long enough. Early on, it was. Early on, it had an atmosphere and water, but um, you know, as you know, over time, it lost that. And uh, you know, most would say it didn't exist in a suitable state long enough for any kind of indigenous life to develop, mm-hmm. uh, evolve to create, you know, something like the face. So then, we're, <laughs> that's the case. We're only left with, with one possibility: is it was built by ancient aliens from Earth, and so that's kind of that's kind of where I'm at right now. 
<laughs> we could talk about that more if you want, but that actually no. gets more into into my, you know, we talked a few months ago about before Atlantis, which was my you know, a parallel research I'm doing on uh, ancient um, civilizations. Um, well, uh, the reason why I, uh, I focus on this is that I did a an art piece. I'm, I'm an artist, and I did I a piece uh, for a dear friend of mine, Sir George Martin, uh, of the Beatles. You know, and right. we worked together for a while, and um, on it I put the Mars face and the yep. other little pyramids that are sitting around there, and I'm just getting ready to. Um, let people know about that again, posting it somewhere else. And and uh, I've heard from Hoagland that, you know, supposedly China's been there, photographed it, and it's okay. And and so I, real, I didn't want to necessarily post this if I didn't think it was real. But I, I've always <laughs> thought it was real. But anyway, so now yeah, I, I won't be embarrassed. Uh, and uh, and if they yell at me, I'll just say, you, you're, it's your fault. Okay. <laughs> Yeah. Okay. No, okay. I mean, it's just, it, it is what it is. Uh, I mean, it's it's definitely there. Yeah. Uh, it's been imaged a number of times, right? So yeah. it's not like uh, you know a photo. It's not like an artifact or a piece of lint on the film or something like that. It's you know it's some of the you know you you probably talked to uh, researchers over the years about some of the lunar anomalies, you know, and some oh, of the oh, early yes. claims from Apollo yeah. and lunar orbiter back in the '60s that some of you know pictures showed you know, towers and glass structures on the moon. You know, a lot of those, I believe, are, are artifacts or film defects and, you know, scratches and, you know, things of that sort. Mm-hmm. Um, but, I mean, the face is, is quite large and it's been imaged a number of times and it's, you know, it's there. Uh, what it is is still TBD. Mm-hmm. I don't think we have to, you know, I don't think we have to uh, take China's word. I think, I think Elon Musk will get us there in a, in a few years and we'll find out for ourselves well, I, got, I have to believe he's curious enough that even if nasa isn't too keen on him going there he'll be uh he'll prevail and and uh, have an ex ex um an ex, uh what's the word an, an expedition to cydonia to uh to determine mm-hmm. you know if it's artificial or not what, what uh, i got well i'm sorry but i gotta ask this other question here what about helium three? Is it is it what China is talking about? All the, uh, the emphasis they're putting on helium three uh, for power in the future. Well, that that's I think that's on the moon, right? Moon, um, yes, um, yes. Yeah, but well, we we can yeah. put it on Mars too. Yeah, I, yeah, I, um, I, I guess. Um, yeah, I guess there's enough of it on on the moon to make it worthwhile. Uh, you probably talked to John Brandenburg. John probably knows oh, more sure. about that than I do. Yeah. Okay. Oh, we got break time here on 21st Century Radio. When we come back, we're going to ask you an important question, such as how do you approach the study of UFOs? Will you, will you okay. straighten that out for us? I'll try. Good going. All right. All right. Back to our show here on 21st Century Radio. Our guest is Mark Carlotto. How do you approach the study of UFOs, and are you a skeptic? I I would say it's it's probably not very um, uh, top down. Uh, it's probably not very um, uh, analytical necessarily initially. Uh, I think I think there's a I, 
perhaps it's an intuition. You know, uh, nowadays there's there's so many reports, there's so much information out there. You look at the source, you look at uh, where it's you know where it's appearing. You look at the claim. Uh, you look at at the phenomenon itself, and then um, I, I think it. There there are some that sort of grab me. I think probably the one that I was uh, most uh, taken by when I was writing the book was the Jerusalem uh, UFO sightings uh, back in 2011. Um, there was just something extraordinary about them, and they just never seemed to have made it to the mainstream, to the you know to the uh, uh, major. Uh, uh, media outlets that, that at least that I could recall. Um, so I think uh, my approach is probably a little bit, uh, a little bit uh, uh, less analytical in the beginning. Um, but then once, as I start getting, uh, getting, uh, you know, obsessed with it, my, my wife would say, I, I think I, I become very uh, uh, particular about, you know, the data, things matching up. And, you know, I, it, for me to say that, you know, I think something is extraordinary, I, I, I have to have some data behind it. It's at that point, it's not a feeling, you know, I think intuition kind of gets the process going. And half the time, it's like, you know, this is a waste of time. This this isn't going anywhere. There's nothing here or the data isn't it doesn't exist to, to support the hypothesis or the claim. But there are but for those that, you know, you start looking at it more closely and, the, and it looks even more extraordinary, those are the ones that I will really latch onto. And, and uh, if I, you know, come to a conclusion that I think it's, um, you know, uh, legitimate, I want to have some physical model, some evidence, uh, something, you know, uh, tangible to back it up. So it's kind of a left brain, sort of like a little bit of left brain, right brain uh, approach, I would say. That's a good balance. I think that's the way to do it, in my opinion. Yeah. I'm biased, though. Yeah, you know, I think I think there's there's a, uh, you know, I'm 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 an engineer, and I think a lot of people think that there's a lack of, uh, you know, creative thought in engineering. Uh, you know, a lot of engineering is sort of making things faster uh, nowadays. You know, smarter if you're in information technology, um, you know, cheap or whatever. Uh, there's the, you know, there's the uh, optimization part of engineering, but then there's the, you know, the initial uh, ideas uh, stage, which is what I've always been interested in. What I've sort of what I do is, you know, come up with some some new approaches, and uh, and you know that aspect of engineering can be very creative. Yeah, I'll bet. Uh, so it's a little of both. Thank you. Well, tell us about the UFOs captured by cameras aboard the space shuttle in the 1990s. Why are these videos important? So after after um, I, you know, after I spent a little bit of time uh, working with with Bruce McAbee, uh, I went back to the Mars investigation, and you know, uh, Richard Hoagland and I uh, worked to. I'll use the the term, uh, you know loosely that we worked together. I mean, Dick would call me and suggest I look at this or look at that. And it went from Mars to uh, lunar anomalies and then to uh, a video taken by uh, the space shuttle STS-48. And I didn't realize it at the time, but the, the but uh, like the face on Mars, Vince DiPietro was, was, uh, was there in, in the very beginning. He was mm, yeah. actually at NASA Goddard when, uh, this, uh, you know, the live feed came over the TV and he, you know, noticed 
something really weird going on on the NASA Select TV monitor uh, at uh, at Goddard, and um, he 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 was curious and he pursued it uh, right off the bat. And um, I didn't find out about it for probably six months after Vince had uh, had done his report. And uh, you know, news didn't travel as fast back then. It sure didn't. <laughs> uh, so anyway, so Dick Dick Hoagling uh, Dick Hoagling got, got me in, interested in the STS forty eight and um, got got me some videos to analyze and it, it was quite interesting because um, the the video came because the video came from NASA it had a certain cachet you know it wasn't like someone had just taken this uh, with their own camera um, but the fact that it came from a U.S. spacecraft. Uh, meant the integrity of the data was beyond question. Mm -hmm. And um, my company actually let me use some equipment uh, to analyze it, you know, provided I do it off hours. So, you know, after hours, I was free to use the video equipment uh, to analyze um, the data. And uh, I, I, you know, I wrote up analysis I had to publish in the Journal of Scientific Exploration, uh, basically supporting uh, Vince, Vince's claim and, and, and Dick Hoagland and others who uh, saw the video as as evidence of some sort of aerospace technology that uh, that wasn't ours. It was beyond our current capabilities. Mm -hmm. um, and um, and I and I and I published that. And, you know, it, it was like 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 the face on Mars investigation. The NASA response was, you uh, you know, in this case, it you know, it's ice particles and it was a prosaic, uh, you know, commonplace explanation, just, uh, you know, unusual data or data that people aren't used to or images, videos people aren't used to looking at uh, being seen in unusual ways. And so people are concluding that unusual things are going on. But in fact, it's all quite usual and normal and commonplace. And there's nothing to uh, to get you know excited about. Um and, uh, you know, and, and so that it was sort of like round two with with NASA, uh, again, an opportunity to perhaps uh, it would have been an opportunity for them to maybe been a little bit more transparent, uh, yeah, they could have. conducted made more of a open investigation. But like the Mars investigation, it, all the all the study, all the analysis took place outside of NASA. Um, and uh, so, so you know, it was extraordinary because of the integrity of the data. You really could not dispute um, the source that, you know, someone certainly did not fake the video. And then uh, a few years later, I analyzed another video from STS-80, which was even more unusual. You know, where STS-48 showed what could be interpreted as UFOs, as, as objects flying around uh, at extraordinary speeds. Um, the video that I looked at in STS-80 showed similar phenomena, but it also showed a um, an extraordinary uh, event that looked like kind of like a you've seen Roman candles, you know, uh, like a flare that shoots out of a Roman candle. Well, this event, uh, a similar thing appears in the space shuttle video several minutes before uh, a segment that you know pretty much. All the you know NASA folks and others had looked at, and you know NASA said, "Well, these are just ice particles," and and others on the other side, um, yeah, 
some of them are believers. They could you know, look at any video and say, yeah, it's UFO. But a lot of people said, oh, yeah, those are definitely flying saucers. And I think, um, you know, in most cases, they were just blurred. Um, you know, the camera, there were objects real close to the camera that appeared blurry. And um, and so, you know, that part of the video was was there was really nothing going on there. But if you look a few minutes before that, there's this event that took place that that no one ever talked about. In fact, I just did uh, an ancient aliens. This is, you know, what, 30 years later, we're just talking about this. Um, and uh, I show it on the, um, I did a little demo to show um, exactly where this occurred and, and why it's so extraordinary. Because when you take the imagery uh, that the shuttle, the video um, images that the shuttle captured, and you map them down to the ground, you can do that with Google Earth. Uh, we couldn't do that back in, in the 90s, but you could do it now. And so you can actually see how far this thing travels in a fraction of a second. And you have an object that looks like a, like a flare from a Roman candle moving at about the speed of a bolt of lightning. Oh, it's like, you know, yeah. what is this? Mm-hmm. Well, you say you started your, this book back in the 1990s. Why did it take so long to complete? So this is where I was at in the 90s. And I thought... These uh, these videos were pretty extraordinary, but um, and and I and I you know I started writing a book. I realized you know there's there's not enough here for a book. What's I don't even know what this what this means. So I started it and I and I put it away and I actually I I, I kind of burned out, if you will, on uh, on UFOs on the Mars investigation, and uh, I got involved in some projects uh, near where I live related to local history and archaeology. And I totally checked out for, for about 10, 15 years. Um, and I, I actually thought I had permanently checked out of the UFO arena. Um, mm-hmm. When I started writing before Atlantis, I was, I was purposely uh, avoiding the whole ancient aliens hypothesis. It was like, or ancient astronauts hypothesis. It's like I wanted to explore the possibility that there could have been civilizations on Earth before man that were descended from earlier uh, previous subspecies, you know, uh, Denisovans or uh, other other unknown uh, uh, human subspecies. And I purposely avoided the whole, you know, ancient astronaut hypothesis. And I figured, you know, I was just sort of done with that in UFOs. And then then the Tic Tacs came out, the Tic Tac videos, the DOD release these videos of Tic Tacs, these um, objects that the Navy pilots were photographing from uh, fighter aircraft. And, and actually that, um, that um, uh, people in, in the control center, not just the pilots, but people monitoring them, you know, the, uh, the, uh, the attack squadron, the whole, you know, planes and everything on the uh, aircraft carrier, they, their radars were showing these things were up, you know, up in, in, in low earth orbit. So in outer space, hundred miles up and they were going from low earth orbit to, you know, tens of thousands of feet above the surface in a fraction of a second, you know, like, mm-hmm. like, like you could take a laser pointer and, you know, shining it here and now you're shining it there. Yeah. It, they were moving that fast. And so this, I didn't really know how to process it. Um, I, I, Again, because it was the, the Navy was releasing the data, it's like okay, we could take the whole con- the whole conspiracy 
and hoax um, angle out because that's not something I really I don't I, I feel that's all counterproductive. I don't want to get involved in the conspiracies and, and all that stuff. I think it's it, it it's I mean, other people are doing it and I don't I'm not particularly interested in it. Um, I think it's you, you can spend a lot of energy sort of spinning your wheels on it. Um, so, again, it was the case that, hey, the government's releasing this data. And, and it seemed like, you know, people talk about disclosure. It seemed like the government was finally disclosing that there were, that, that there is some sort of a phenomenon that they don't understand. And it almost seemed like, it was like, hey, we don't know what this thing is. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. um, and it seemed like it was a turning point. So I started, I started thinking about the whole problem again. And I, I realized I had a couple of other cases I had been working on people to contact me about that I sort of wrote up and, you know, gave them some slides for conferences and stuff. I, I really wasn't actively participating. And I looked at all this again and I thought, well, okay, are there, are there other sightings that corroborate the Tic Tacs? And I found the, the Jerusalem uh, UFO sighting and uh, I did an analysis of the video and I concluded from that that, hey, these objects are moving, they're accelerating just as fast as, as the Tic Tacs. And this is an object in the Jerusalem UFO videos. There were four observers that that uh, videoed an object ascending from a uh, point uh, west of um, the old city, moving towards the Temple Mount, uh, hovering, flashing, and then uh, taking off, literally literally flying out of sight in in, in a fraction of a second. Um, and because of course, no one could explain it. It's like, well, it's got to be a hoax, right? Well, but if you, you know, do the math and you look at, um, and you're able to actually do it with some of the videos, uh, actually figure out what the physical distances are, it's, you're getting accelerations that are co- comparable to what the Navy pilots were measuring. Whoa. So it's like, huh, this is kind of interesting. Yeah. Um, so anyway, so that got, that long answer to your question, that kind of got me back <laughs> Got, got me back into it. I realized that there was something, there, there is something that is beyond our ability to understand. There's a real mystery out there. It's, you know, people talk about the unknown. Uh, the moon is unknown. Mars is unknown. The oceans are unknown. I kind of see that, that that's sort of unknown with a, with a small letter U. This, I think the UFO and the UAP um, situation is unknown with a big, with, with a capital U. I think it's the same U that uh, the same capital U that's behind related things having to do with paranormal, near death experiences, spiritual experience. I think it's a different reality uh, that we're uh, being forced to recognize. Now we can't explain it for uh, we can't explain it as just some other physical phenomenon that's unknown with a little you it's it's unknown with the big you because it's you can't accelerate you can't explain um the phenomenon using any conventional language or framework well it's and then of course you you're you're so polite because you're not mentioning any of the any of the people that work in ufos that can just drive you crazy um, even very kind towards some of these people. Um, and I think that's one of the reasons why it would would uh, turn anyone 
off for a while to get away from UFOs. I know many I know many researchers who who have. It's because they become very uncomfortable with all the ifs and the and the exaggerations, et cetera, et cetera. It's, um, it's, it's a very it's a very edgy community. Um, you know, uh, I, I I have uh, like I did after I wrote before Atlantis. I I have a blog and I post uh, research on uh, beforeatlantis.com and and as and, and similarly with uh, not of this world. I have a website and blog, not at this world, UFO, one word, dot com, and I post updated research on that. And when I have a new article, I'll, uh, I'll, you know, I'll, I'll post it on Facebook, half a dozen different groups to get it out there uh, for people to become aware of. And, you know, for the most part, whenever, when, when I po- post something on, on ancient mysteries on some new, you know, some new alignments or some new, um, insights into ages of pyramids or, or alignments or, you know, something having to do with ancient mysteries. I, I would say 99% of comments are, um, and feedback is constructive or at least polite or, you know, um, um, civilized. And you look at the Facebook pages for, you know, for various UFO groups and it's, it's really shocking. There's so little, uh, serious critical thought, uh, and, and, and very little on some of these sites, very little decor. They, they, they will just, they're, they're rude. And, uh, it's, it's, it's just very interesting. Uh, but still, you know, you, you got to get the stuff out there. You, you write a book and you got to post and you got, and, you know, you tell people about, about it. And, you know, a lot of the feedback you get is really not particularly useful. It's not very uh, helpful. Uh, it's not very, very thought out. Sometimes people, all they do is they look at the title and, and a picture, and they they make some conclusion about what you've written, and it has absolutely nothing to do about you know. We with got that, a, so. we got a conclusion right now to take a break here on Twenty First Century Radio with our guest, Dr. Mark Carlotto, Ph.D. All right, our guest, of course, is Dr. Mark Carlotto, a FUD, an engineer with forty years experience in satellite imaging and pattern recognition. How does not of this world differ from your last book before Atlantis? I think we talked about it last September. Yeah. Um, so, in in not of in, uh, in in before Atlantis, I I started with the uh, with a completely different premise, I think, than in not of this world. In before Atlantis, I wanted to explore the possibility that ancient civilizations, advanced civilizations. Um, could have developed um, on Earth uh, and have, you know, and, and have been lost um, and uh, that these civilizations could have developed in, indigenously. In other words, from prior um, uh, uh, earlier species, subspecies like Denisovans um, or other uh, other species. Um, and so it was... Um, sort of a departure from, you know, my earlier work on, on the face on Mars, looking at the possibility of, you know, features on Mars having been constructed by extraterrestrials or, or something of that sort. Uh, I took a kind of a, I went 180 degrees and went in the opposite direction. Um, and I think it's, cause I think it's useful to kind of see, you know, based on the evidence where, where does that take us without any kind of, as aliens are kind of, 
it, because they're so outside the box, it's almost like a deus ex machina in the sense they they can kind of swoop in and you know any they can they can almost do anything, right? It almost um, uh, it, it changes. It almost changes. The, it's almost like the, the game doesn't have any rules anymore. If that's the case, or at least the game that we're playing, in terms of trying to investigate um, these mysteries. So in Not of This World, I I realized that, and this was evolving from looking at the at the Tic Tacs and and other um, and other uh, cases, that there really are things we that we can't explain. Uh, and in fact, we're, we're seeing them every day. It's not, you know, there, there are stories from the Bible, um, uh, the wheels of, of, of Elijah and, and, and Ezekiel and the, um, and the book of Enoch and, you know, the watchers and so many examples of, of extraordinary phenomenon that couldn't be explained, uh, in the language of the day. And, uh, Eric von Donegan and others interpreted that as, as well, they must've been ancient aliens, um, you know, extraterrestrials from another planet. In fact, that's still the, the the theme on the TV series Ancient Aliens. It's still, you know, that's that's the hammer that uh, you know everything out there is an extraterrestrial. Um, and uh, and and so that's that's kind of the direction I was. I started out with in Not of This World, but then I realized there was more to it than that, and. Specifically, you couldn't really reconcile that whole uh, conclusion with, on the other hand, you know, what SETI, the SETI people have found or have not found after listening to radio signals for 60 years. They, you know, there's no radio signals out there, um, at least none that have been conclusively determined to be uh, artificial uh, or, you know, extraterrestrial um, and and of intelligent origin. And... Um, so in trying to reconcile the two, it seemed like, well, if, if there are, if the UFO phenom- phenomenon seems to be a real, real thing. It seems to be, you know, something that it's, it's been um, experienced, reported for thousands of years. Uh, people are every day collecting, you know, tens, hundreds, probably thousands of cell phone videos of, of events they can't explain. So it's a real thing. Yet there's no radio signals. Why? And so this led me to some analysis I do in the book to conclude that uh, UFOs probably are not extraterrestrial. And so that leads to, well, not of this world. In the, the world, in the, in the kind of the Greek sense of the universe, uh, of the physical universe. And that's kind of where I, that's the direction I sort of, or that's the direction I'm headed uh, in the, uh, at the end of the book. And uh, I present some preliminary ideas uh, but you know, it's way beyond my, my pay grade to, and my education. And I think maybe even the state of knowledge, uh, uh, you know, of humankind to, to know, but I think it's, you know, like I said earlier, I think that's the, the, the unknown with the capital U. And so it was not of this world is 180 degrees away from before Atlantis. And so you got two directions. The truth's got to be somewhere in between. Yeah, well, that, that's reasonable and it's logical. Instead of ju- jumping to a lots of conclusions, which can drive me crazy every time I go through this with a lot of people who are just getting involved in this over time. Um, yeah, and I right. and the some of the um, you know some of the research uh, 
go back go back to Hogan was done was pretty good, and yet um, he he uh, caused some real difficulties with amongst groups and things of that nature, competing with one another, which uh, I thought was unfortunate. Didn't and didn't need to happen that that way. That way. Yeah, you know, a, a lot of times it's 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 you know it's 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 human ego. I mean, we all have it, and we all want to be right. We want to be first. We want to you know. Mm-hmm. And and when you know if if someone attacks you you know or discredits your hypothesis you take it personally it's like um, you know I I think it's it, it's going to take a village to figure this out it's going to take all of us you know working at it in different ways and uh, you know I don't I'm not trying to earn a living doing this I think as you get older you have the luxury of maybe working on things that you want to and approaching things in in the way you want to without being limited to, uh, you know, having to, uh, sort of toe the party line or, mm-hmm. you know, uh, sure. make certain, a group, certain group of people happy. And, uh, of course other, you know, some people out there are, take uh, great, uh, joy in, 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 uh, in, in, in getting people upset <laughs> and becoming <laughs> controversial because, Hey, right. Controversial, uh, controversy sells and gets everyone's attention. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I'd rather just, you know, I, I try to uh, approach it objectively and, and try to offer up some, some new information, some new insight. I, it's not totally thought out. This is very organic. Uh, you know, I have to say, uh, my, my, uh, when I was writing the book, it's like, okay, what am I going to do for a cover? And uh, I, uh, my daughter's an artist, an artist. I have a lot of artists in my family. Uh, my wife's an artist. And, um, two daughters are artists or teachers. And, uh, it's like, would you, could you do a, a, a cover for my book? And I explained it to Katie. She says, Oh yeah, I, I know exactly what you mean. She came up with the cover of the book. It was like, I don't know how long it took her, uh, probably an hour or two real, real, real quick. And it's like, I love it. And, uh, she had taken a high, fortunately high resolution photograph with a cell phone of it. And she said, yeah, dad, it's just preliminary. I, I need to work on it some more. Uh, but it was very, you know, it's, it's very organic, very sort of, it's emerging. It's, it's very sort of, it's rough. And the more she worked on it, it's like, you know, I think I like the original uh, drawing, uh, original painting. It's an acrylic on canvas. Uh, I we like the original one best. One minute before the a break, so keep going. Yeah. And so anyway, so this is her first cut. The other ones I said, yeah, they're, they're good, but I, I, I like, I like um, the first cut the best. So my daughter did the cover from the book. Well, it's an in, it's just interesting. Uh, <laughs> but the, no, it really is because I'm trying to figure out um, of this very large blue area obviously is, must be another type of planet. Uh, is that true? And, and then in the middle you have something that could be a UFO and uh whoops we're out of time well we'll come back a little later on talk some more about this cover okay <laughs> welcome back to 21st century radio i'm your host dr bob Hieronymus, and we've been doing uh this weekly interview for well since 1988 i think we're headed towards 40 years but we may not be on this station for 40 years i'll tell you that our executive producer and research assistant is Laura Cordner. Our engineer is Anita Brockington. Now, our guest is, of course, Dr. Mark Carlotto, and we were beginning a discussion on the cover of this book, which marks 
daughter designed. Isn't this true? Yeah. Now, this big, large blue uh, curvature there, is that a planet or is that the sun or what What could that be? Uh, that, that's, that's, that's an abstracted uh, view of the Earth. Ah, that's the Earth. Okay. Now, that... Uh, it seems that there's a, a, a rocket ship right in between that and a lunar slice. Yeah. And um, But this rocket ship that you have here is somewhat similar to one of the uh, designs in the book, which I think you... Oh, gosh, when I get to that part, there are so many parts of this. The, the, yeah, the space shuttle. Yeah, yeah. yeah that's the space shuttle. Okay. Yeah. So, so yeah, actually, so yeah, let me explain at, at the point. Uh, so at, uh, when I, when I picked up, uh, this, uh, recent, you know, within this past year to finish the book, uh, the, the title at that point was UFOs in space. And it was going to be about the space shuttle videos. Cause I felt like the space shuttle videos were the best evidence that we had to date at that time. Of UFOs again because of the quality of the data, uh, the source of the data, and so forth. So, my, my, so I said, you know, I want. You know, so I said, you know, could you do a cover that has sort of the space shuttle and the Earth and maybe you know something that kind of looks like a UFO? Mm-hmm. But I wanted to keep it a little bit, a little, you know, mysterious. It is mysterious. It is mysterious, and and so and so she did it this way. It's very transparent and. Um, and it's it was actually kind of uh, uh, prescient in the sense that as the book evolved, I realized it wasn't just about UFOs in space. It was about um, it was about this this tendency now to or the past tendency to view things as being extraterrestrial maybe was was wrong, and maybe these are much more exotic. And that and then I started thinking about something that's outside of the box, outside of the physical universe, not of this world. And so then. You know, looking at this UFO, it's like, wow, this is transparent. Is it really there, or is it here, or is it there, or where is it? Does it even really exist? And uh, so it kind of—that's kind of how it evolved. Um, and uh, but it was this early, earliest version that that she did that I liked because it's very—it's sort—it's very—it's—it's it's not. Um, you know, she said, "Well, you know, Dad, I really need to sort of clean this up and that up." And it's like, no, I, I like it. it's very primal and it's very, it's it's like it's it's emerging, and that's kind of the whole, um, the whole sort of uh, tone that I yeah I, I wanted because it's not this this is not totally thought out. It's this is totally half baked. I mean, um, you know, most people uh, are thinking about. You know, like I've, you know, we've been talking for the last hour about you, you know UFOs being extraterrestrial, being spaceships, being flying saucers, being you know beings from another world. Well, maybe that that may be part of it. I mean, I think it's a very complicated, very complex phenomenon. Um, but I think there's definitely an aspect that's much more exotic, and that that's kind of the, the direction I think it would be interesting to see where that goes, and and hopefully other people will have you know. Other ideas, better ideas, can flesh out some of some of these concepts better than I can. Physicists, I know there are, there are physicists now that are working uh, on this seriously. There's a group called the Society for um, UAB Studies, um, and uh, they're actually studying these uh, videos that have been released by uh, 
by the Navy and, and, and actually uh, Department of Homeland Security released a video um, uh, recently and uh, the Chilean Navy. These are all you know, kind of showing similar things in people. Serious scientists are, are analyzing them um, and doing much more in-depth analysis than I'm able to do here. So uh, I think it's uh, some new directions. It's exciting. Well, I, I, I congratulate your daughter because it looks real. It looks real in the sense that it looks like it's moving. It's it's not this hard edge. It's a soft edge area, which I yeah. think really uh, puts that across. But she probably did that intuitively, which which suggests very strongly that that she has a good deal of talent from that standpoint. So give her an A plus and five hundred dollars and and a new car and then <laughs> that kind of thing. Oh, uh, okay, okay. No, okay. Now. Why do you think UFOs, UAPs, are not extraterrestrial? If not extraterrestrial, then what? Okay, so um, you mentioned at the uh, at the beginning of the show how SETI scientists, um, these are scientists that are interested in the search for extraterrestrial intelligence. They've been listening for over 60 years um, for evidence of radio signals. Um and they haven't found any. Uh, they haven't. They haven't heard or detected anything that's extraterrestrial that is uh, that appears to be of intelligent origin. I know there's a lot of controversy. People will disagree with that statement. But um, think about uh, and, and the, the way uh, SETI sort of formulates this whole problem of of, uh, of searching for extraterrestrials is that the universe or the let's say the galaxy, our galaxy, they, 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 they hold that our galaxy is teeming with, with, um, with life, with, uh, and, and some developed a technology, advanced civilizations. And Earth is sort of in the middle. Think about the sort of a statistical distribution of, of technologies out there. Some are more advanced than we are. Some are less advanced. Some may not even use radios. Uh, people have said, well, we, we're not detecting ET radio signals because maybe they don't use radio. Well, true, maybe some of them don't. But according to the principle of mediocrity, which is sort of at the heart of SETI and uh, sort of mainstream science, it assumes that we're not uh, special, we're typical. And so there's going to be civilizations like us, more advanced, less advanced, and so forth. So given that, there should be some civiliza some civilizations out there that are um, that have radio, television, cell phones, uh, satellites, and so there you know there should be some electromagnetic signature that uh, we should be able to pick up, mm -hmm. uh, and we have it. Okay, so we have that on the one hand. So that suggests there's nobody out there. Okay, according to the the criteria that SETI lays out. Nothing's been detected. The conclusion could be from that, hey, there's nobody out there. Yet, we have this UFO phenomenon, and it's existed for thousands of years. Um, and so what I do in, in the book, I actually have an article on my blog at uh, notofthisworldufo.com. It's the, uh, the article is called, um, I have it right here. It's called Ancient called ancient aliens from earth and um and what i do in this article is i explain how i use this 
it's called the Drake equation that the SETI scientists use to argue um, that there's some you know scientific basis for, for for searching for and finding ETs. I use the Drake equation, um, and I I do basically do t- two things with it. I use it first to estimate the the number of uh, of uh, civilizations out there that are emitting radio waves. Uh, I do sort of in a, in a theoretical way, and I do the same thing uh, for the number of civilizations out there that are spacefaring, that build uh, spacecraft, are able to tra- uh, uh, travel uh, interstellar distances. In other words, the whole setup for the whole UFO phenomenon, that there are, there's a, you know, some number out there that are capable of doing that. And um, I, I then show that by using the Drake equation, given the data that we have, no ET radio signals, but yet tons of UFOs, it suggests that it's almost easier to build uh, an an ET, uh, it's easier to build an interstellar spacecraft than it is a radio or a cell phone, which is, you know, clearly not the case. If you look at uh, technology curves, and I include these in the book, and I kind of explain how you know, information technology just continues to go up at, you know, at a, you know, exponential rate. Whereas rocket uh, technology, space technology kind of leveled off. If you, you know, if you think about it, we're going to be going, they're talking about going back to the moon. We're talking about the Chinese and and, uh, going to the moon to uh, mine helium-3. It's all being done with chemical rockets, you know, liquid oxygen, liquid hydrogen, methane, uh, even SpaceX's uh, Starship that they're building now to go to Mars is a chemical rocket. We've had chemical rockets, you know, since you know World War II. It hasn't it hasn't evolved at all. I mean, sure they're they're bigger, they're more refined, but we're still using the same fuels: ion propulsion, nuclear propulsion, all these exotic propulsion. You know, let not not to you know. Forget about, you know, warp drives. We don't even know what that means. Um, these don't, these aren't, they, they don't really, they don't exist even after all these years. So that says that it's a lot harder to build, be a lot harder for us to get out there with our spaceships than to send radio signals out there. Yet SETI has, their, their findings suggest exactly the opposite. So this, the conclusion is if UFOs are real, and they appear to be, and there's no signals that have been detected from space, then it's likely that UFOs are not extraterrestrial. They're, they come from somewhere else. And that's what I spend the last chapter, the last part of the book talking about. Well, before we get to that, what about the possibility of UFOs coming from uh, underwater or being inside inside the earth yeah that's that's a great question um so they don't they don't have to be extraterrestrial at all because it seems that that they have we have had other cultures or other lost civilizations that are extremely old and a a lot is going on as you well know and i'm not going to get into the stuff in antarctica right now but you know everyone's so thrilled about that the possibility But there's all all kinds of possibilities to make anything up from that standpoint. Um, 
uh, it's pretty loose. Yeah. Okay. So, so, yeah. So exactly. So your point is that that they're they could be hiding. I think we're coming up to to are we coming up to our the end of this uh, segment. That's correct. You, yes. You want so to, okay. You want to take? Do you want to? We'll take that on the other side. Want to take a break now and do that then? Yeah, I don't want to get too spun up on on an answer. Got. It. We'll, we'll, yeah, we'll I, do it on the other side. Jacques and Braun and my previous French incarnation. I remember that. Uh, so well, uh, let's. Take it away. Welcome back to 21st Century Radio with our guest, Dr. Mark Carlotto. And, of course, we're talking about his new book called Not of This World, an emerging picture of the UFO phenomenon published in 2021. Now, instead of thinking that UFOs have to come from out there, is it possible that there might be beings and extraterrestrials living inside our planet or underwater, especially in some type of submarine of sorts. So in other words, are they, are they hiding somewhere? Are they hiding in the oceans? Are they, uh, uh, are they hiding on the, on the far side of the moon? Yeah, probably uh, because if we knew they were there, we'd probably blow them away. So, <laughs> well, it's some, some, you know, some say that's why we're, you know, there's a new space race now to get to the moon. Uh, you know, since the Chinese, you know, they, they uh, sent a probe to the to the far side of the moon. Um, you know, they're they're being they're perceived as being ahead of us in some sense. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, I mean, we we've we've imaged the moon at you know extremely high resolutions. Um, like like Mars, and you know, uh, there there's the conspiracy um, uh, uh, folk that say that well, you know, there all these you know these these uh, sites, alien sites are on the moon and on Mars, and they've been airbrushed out and we can't see them. Um, it's been you know the the moon and Mars has been imaged so many times. I think it's highly unlikely that there's something on the surface that we, uh, that's been hidden. Uh, you know, it's, it's, it's like a lie. When you tell a lie, it's extremely hard to, uh, to, to maintain it because you're, you have to fabricate more lies to cover, you know, to, to cover up the, or to keep the first lie going. Mm-hmm. And I think after all these years, that'd be really hard to do. So I don't think there's anything on, on the moon or, or on Mars, uh, you know, alien, Basis, if you will, uh, maybe maybe under the moon, there's uh, there's evidence of these underground caverns and caves, and that's a possibility. And you know, Bob, Doctor Bob, you asked about Earth, uh, the oceans. Uh, so you know, s- there's so much of the planet. Uh, I think 95 percent of the planet's unexplored. Um, and you mentioned Antarctica. Uh, that's been people have been talking about that for years. Um, you know that that could certainly explain some of it. Um, it might explain, uh, you know, bases of operation and so forth. But um, when something moves at, you know, it's standing still, and all of a sudden it accelerates in, you know, a tenth of a second, uh, so that's it's it's out of sight. And it's like a thousand or four, you know, thousands of G's. You now where you know tens of G's will kill a human pilot you know how how does anyone 
possibly operate a craft like this. I mean, the accelerations are so high, it would crush any kind of physical instrumentality. Any Anything physical would be destroyed. So, you know, it's possible that there are unseen places where uh, unknown forces are lurking. Uh, I, I, I won't rule that out. I mean, because, I, again, I believe that this is a very complex phenomenon. But I think there's a part, there's an aspect of this that is is unexplained, and it's not it's not hiding on the Earth or, or on the Moon, um, in the Earth, in the oceans, um, but is is coming from from somewhere else, from you know what the you know mystics refer to as other planes of existence. Yes, um, and that starts getting really kind of, you know kind of woo-woo-ish, right? You know, it's like, well, what does that really mean? That's not scientific. Um, but I disagree. I think that's that's truly these that's that's truly at the frontiers of science. You know, the science the, the box right now is is physical science. If you can't it's like anything uh out there, any unknown phenomenon uh has to be explained within the confines of the of the box of of uh you know physical theories. Physical, par- physically based paradigms, paradigms that you know uh, maintain that consciousness is not a primary manifestation, but is a uh, it's a an, it's an emergent property of complex physical systems. And you know, the Big Bang is this theory that the universe started somehow from a singularity, matter was created, and from lifeless matter came life, and from life consciousness. Well, you know, the, the other view of this from the esoteric traditions is, is called emanation, which is that in the beginning, uh, it was just pure consciousness and uh, creation involved the unfolding of universes of increasing uh, densities of matter, decreasing densities of consciousness, you know, from the, the most conscious down to the least conscious being the physical realm. Where we where where we exist, and so these other realms exist, uh, but we don't have direct access to them, at least physically. We do, uh, perhaps through drug experiences, through meditation, uh, near death experiences, uh, perhaps paranormal phenomenon uh, also um, involves some of these realms. So I think you know I think there's one equation that explains you know the unknown with the big U. And I think all of these, uh, these are all aspects of it. And, um, and so, you know, that, that, so that, that, I think that's, that's a part of this. So again, going back to, you know, are there, are there alien forces hiding? You know, there, 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 there may, I'm not ruling out the possibility that there are extraterrestrials and they're just, they're, they're, they're cloaked, they're, they're hidden. Uh, we don't know, uh, we know very little about them. Uh, are, are able to learn very little about them uh, by by design, uh, but I think that's only part of it. I think mm-hmm. there's a, there's a much uh, bigger uh, uh, mystery, and uh, and it's really the mystery that's you know it's sort of it's it's at the core of all the key questions. You know, where do we come from? You know, what is life? Um, you know, why are we here? I think these are the deep questions, and I think the UFO phenomenon is forcing us to face the reality that there are things that we cannot explain. Yes. Um, and, and that's, and I think, a, you know, you know, COVID was, 
was a game changer. It forced us to look at things differently. And I think uh, acceptance of the, of the UFO phenomenon for what it is at its, at its core, that it's truly something unexplained and beyond physical, uh, beyond the physical universe, forces us to uh, consider, you know, a bigger world. Um, and I think that's, you know, that, that's what this is all about. And it's forcing us to do that. Um, so you can, you can belittle it, you can marginalize it, but I think this is sort of the, this is the, uh, what's the expression? The, this is the elephant in the room that scientists can't seem to explain. Well, they can't ignore it now. Um, that's, that's one of the good things about this situation. Do you think the UFO phenomenon has or will change the world? You sound like it might. Yeah, I, I, I think, I think so. I think. Um, I, I think uh, it's it, it, you know there's, there's sort of a tipping point, right? That you know, COVID was was uh, the, the magnitude of the pandemic, and the effect was was so great that it, it it changed institutions and it changed ways of doing business, ways of communicating. Uh, look at the way I mean, we you know we're skyping, we use Zoom. Um, you know, these are used much more now. Uh, companies are using them much more, relying perhaps less on having to travel, you know, take, you know, saving. So companies are certainly in favor of this, right? Saves money. You don't have to travel as much. You can use all these technologies. I think, you know, uh, they're transformative and they've been brought about as a result of the pandemic. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, a similarly, I don't know what it, what it would take, uh, maybe just continued exposure to, uh, you know, these sightings and reports are eventually, you know, s- scientists are going to perhaps crack under the, the pressure of just, hey, look, uh, you know, there's a mystery out there. We, got, we can't keep sweeping this under the rug. We got to really start to try to understand this mm-hmm. when it becomes so obvious, right? Um, and I think that could, when that happens, that could be a real game changer. Um, In chapter, it could be a very positive change. Chapter two examines UFO cases. One clearly a hoax, a second likely real, and a third that is unclear. Um, can we go through those three cases? Yeah, sure. The first one is uh, is is quite quite stunning when i first saw it it's like oh my yeah it's like oh my god how did they do this and it was all it's all done with with cgi it's it's actually quite incredible and the more i i researched it the more i learned about all these all these plug-in plugins uh in um video production software to you know create uh shakiness and all sorts of other artifacts and uh, so the one that's clearly a hoax is an enormous ufo that's um, that's reported. Uh, where the heck is it in um, Malaysia? In Malaysia, in Malaysia. Yeah, it's just it's it's like if you saw something like this, you would be like, whoa. Uh, and uh, it's you know that's it was analyzed. Uh, there were a few sources I I researched, and I didn't look at it myself, but you know it was the the point is that there's some. Uh, stuff out there on the internet that's 
quite cleverly done, well done, uh, and uh, it's it's you can determine that it's clearly a hoax. Um, this, so so that's one. So the other, the second was uh, not a clearly not a hoax, and I think the Gulf Breeze um, UFO, based on the the uh, research uh, largely done by. Uh, by uh, Bruce McAbee, yeah, uh, and there were there were others as well in the investigation. This is Ed Walters' um, experiences in Gulf Breeze, Florida, in um, it's like November through November in November 1987 through May 1988. Um, he says in in his book, uh, uh, these events have changed my family's. And my life forever. No longer can I look at the night sky and disregard the possibilities of intelligent life somewhere else in the heavens. I mean, clearly, uh, a, a uh, he, he did not uh, do this to make money or to for for That's fame right. and fortune. Um, and and Bruce's uh, analysis of the data uh, supports us that it's uh, a very uh, very solid set of, of reports and a lot of photographs, uh, not just one or two, yeah. but quite a few. And I and I the the little analysis I did uh, I totally concur with with you know what Bruce found. Um, the third case was uh, a researcher in uh, Italy, um, uh, Marco Baldini, of an Italian UFO research group, contacted me and asked me to take a look at some photos of UFOs taken. Um, in uh, from a town north of uh, Milan, uh, so sort of north northwest Italy, and um, it's 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 intriguing, um, but my analysis suggests that you know, and I didn't have access to all the data, but all the UFOs seem to be roughly showing the same lights underneath the same positions. There's some variability. Um, but, you know, supposedly all these photos are taken from different locations. And so they should have shown some variation. And then, you know, when you look at, you know, you've taken a cell phone picture at night, right? And, you know, t when you take the picture, it's, if it's really dark out, you know, it's, it's really noisy, right? Yeah. You know, there's a lot because of, there's not a lot of photons. And so you see what's called the dark current. And, um, in the, um, Lanzada, uh, so this is, Lanzada was the small village, uh, in Italy where these were taken. The, um, the nighttime photos show, you know, a sky with a lot of this dark current, this dark, uh, this, 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 uh, dark current noise or, um, you know, noise that you would normally see in a cell phone video. But then around the UFO itself, it's, it's, it's just dark. There's no noise at all. And it suggests that, you know, they took a photo and then they inserted, uh, composited a, um, you know, a picture of a UFO shot in the back, black background and sort of like photoshopped it in. So that, that I would say is probably, probably not um, a, uh, you know, legitimate sighting, but, you know, Again, without seeing all the data, it's hard to say for sure. Um, and then I actually, it was actually the next chapter, chapter three, talks about UFOs near the moon. And this is, this is quite interesting. Uh, uh, there was a photo 
or a video taken by uh, a French Canadian astronomer who um, took a picture, uh, sorry, took a video of uh, what appear to be three UFOs flying around the moon from behind the moon across the, the uh, surface of the moon disappearing into the shadowed side. And um, kind of the jury's out on this. A lot of people claim that it's, it's a uh, fake because it shows some indications of being faked, you know, using some of these video uh, techniques. Uh, but it's also extremely well done. And there's a lot about it that appears authentic. So it's, you know, some cases are not cut and dry. Uh, but when you, again, when you start talking about the, the Navy video, the NASA videos, those are, I think, the best evidence. And I talk about those um, as well and, and, and a number of other cases. Uh, crop circles and UFOs, a whole other subject uh, with a yeah. lot of uh, a lot of back and forth against the SETI people. This whole idea, they just uh, uh, they, you know, the idea that there's crop circles that anyone would you know would do this that extraterrestrials or anyone uh, would do crop circles is like they feel it's just kind of ridiculous and they believe that you know all these formations are hoaxed. And, you know, I, I think a lot of them are, but a lot of them, and there's uh, one, there's two cases actually I examined in the book that suggests that at least two cases are authentic. And one shows the formation of a crop circle uh, in a place in uh, Wiltshire in England called Oliver's Castle. That's been uh, subject to uh, so, some controversy for uh, two plus decades. So uh, there's a, quite, a, quite a range of of cases I look at. And then from that in the book and at, at the end, I, you know, try to abstract and analyze and come up with some conclusions. Um, we have, so it's laid out pretty simply. We yeah. have a conclusion right now. We have to take a break here. Our final break. Is this true, Dr. Cordner? It is indeed. Hi, this is Colonel Gordon Cooper. I'm one of the seven Mercury astronauts. And I'm listening this evening to Bob Hieronymus on 21st Century Radio. As Brother Gordon, indeed, one of the original seven Mercury astronauts, was asked by a reporter if he pursued UFOs when he was in the Air Force, an Air Force pilot in the 1950s. What did what did Gordon tell him, Mark? So I got to look this up because I'm I don't. Uh, well, <laughs> this is like a test. Okay, we have, what are the, what's the exact quote here? Um, basically, he said that they, they pursued, they, they pursued these, uh, these craft. Uh, they were never able to catch up with yeah, them. That's right. Um, they, they were always, uh, and, you know, and this is something that, you know, exist today, right? The, uh, the Navy pilots, again, they tried going after them and, and they were just, they were gone in a flash. Mm-hmm. Um, there was even, uh, yeah. Um, there's another case, the Gemini seven of a, uh, report of a bogey that, um, some say it was code word for UFO. Um, but other, otherwise there's really no documented, uh, sightings in uh prior prior to the space shuttle videos um i wasn't able to find anything 
you know, you have Gordon Cooper's comments and, and a few others off the record, but nothing, uh, nothing really substantial to go on. Uh, certainly no photos um, existed. Um, but then, you know, the shuttle changed that with some extraordinary, I, I think, extraordinary videos. Oh, it did. You know, but one of the sections that I enjoyed so much was analyzing the evidence. Would you mind going over that near the end of the book here, uh, which I think yeah. our listeners should know about? Yeah. So, um, so you know, uh, the, the uh, all this new data from the uh, from DoD, the, the Navy videos, would not have come out were it not for uh, the work of uh, Luis Elizondo, who uh, was head of the um, ATIP, Advanced Aerospace Threat Identification Program. Uh, and there's actually, I think there's two seasons out uh, on, um, I forget who cares, it's Netflix or HBO. Uh, it's called the, I think it's called Unexplained. And it's uh, his, now that since he uh, left the government, he's been, you know, pursuing, he's got a group of people in, investigating um, uh, sightings and trying to follow up on, on what he began to unearth when he was in the government. And he came up with, with what he called five observables. Um, so what I do is I analyze the evidence, these cases in terms of the following observables. Uh, no visible means of propulsion or flight surfaces such as wings. The ability to accelerate and change direction quickly. Accelerations beyond human tolerances. Hypersonic velocities without physical effects such as vapor trails and sonic booms. Limited observability, for example, visible in infrared but not in radar, including possibility of cloaking devices. Ability to move within uh, and between different environments, such as space, the Earth's atmosphere, and water. Uh, some of the sightings involved craft going from, fly, from flying over water to going underwater and out again without apparently changing speed. Uh, and, you know, there, as I mentioned earlier, there were uh, radar on the um, on the Nimitz uh, reported uh, UFOs in, lo in low Earth orbit uh, descending to you know tens of thousands of feet in fractions of a second. So then, what I do is I actually add three additional observables. Uh, we have do we have we have a few more minutes? Yes, we do. So um, expanding on the uh, ability to uh, so expanding on these five, um, I added the ability to change size and shape. Now, that's very uh, interesting. Yeah. Because remember, yes. back in the old days, that's the first things that they, those who were extremely skeptical uh, would bring up was that, hey, there's no way that they could just change size and shapes. And that was used by... I've forgotten so many guys uh, in the old days that, that came out yeah. against all this and said it's just not possible to do that. So, therefore, this is a lie. Well, so, they're wrong. Yeah, yeah. So, so this is what Jacques you, – you, you, I heard Jacques Ballet a little while ago um, uh, as doing a, an endorsement for the show. And, and this is what he says. He says, in many cases, UFOs behave like a hologram that had mass. In other words – if a hologram could also interact with the environment, if it could put holes in the ground and burn the vegetation, you'd have a good approximation of what the UFO is. In other words, it's not an object like that car over there is an object. It looks like a car. It feels like a car, but it isn't a car. It's something 
totally different, which can look like a carp it wants to. So, uh, you know, th so again, this, uh, this idea of being able to change size and shape. I just posted today a new article on the blog. It's uh, entitled Ongoing um, Sightings of UAP. And this is over Long Island. Uh, this was a few weeks ago. And it's an excellent example of, of a phenomenon in the sky that seems to split and merge. And, and it's, I, can't, I don't think anyone can explain uh, what it's doing. And I have some enhancements of it in the article. And uh, hopefully some people will take a look at it and maybe come up with some, some new ideas. Um, anyway, so, so then just to get back to your question, two other, uh, uh, observables associated effects such as nearby disturbances, power interruptions and others. Now this is close encounters of the third kind when, uh, uh, Richard Dreyfuss is, you know, uh, uh, in his car and it shuts off. Uh, and then the last one is the ability, you know, the, this, uh, tendency to appear from out of nowhere and then just disappear, just totally fly out of sight in, in, in a split second. So what I do is I, I examine all these cases in the book and I, um, you know, I have measurements of velocities, accelerations, physical sizes, and then, you know, are they, do they satisfy any of these observables? And so I ask the question, are UFOs a physical phenomenon? Are they beyond current technology? Uh, do they violate the, the laws of physics? And then, you know, lastly, are they, um, after talking about SETI, um, I, you know, consider the question, are UFOs extraterrestrial in origin? And I talk a little bit about the politics of SETI and why it's kind of like, it's not really, to, it's not, not real science. It's, there's a lot of politics and, and maybe some might argue a little, a little religion in there. Uh, That's right. So it's not a level playing field. And then from that, I, I go on in the last chapter. I, my last chapter is entitled The New Interpretation, where I, um, I use a quote by Viktor Frankl, which oh. is, when we can no longer change a situation, we are challenged to change ourselves. And I think that's the juncture we're at here. Well, we are, and this is a, this is a very blessed area when you get into this, because it, when it gets into higher consciousness and and how how that affects everything uh, is is something I think is that others are going to have to check more into rather than well avoid these particular I hope areas so. yeah i hope so yeah because it will make a very big difference uh in search of alien in my opinion uh in this particular area uh, the moon is another possibility i remember carl sagan was one of the first to suggest the idea of alien bases on the moon that really surprised me i probably didn't surprise you well, I, I know, particularly, you know, towards you, you look at that and, and then compare that to what he was saying at the end of his career. Uh, he was very, very skeptical, very much main, a mainstream. You know, he was kind of the poster boy for for mainstream science, you know, uh, right. very. He 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 was he, I, I never met him. We corresponded a number of times. He actually used. uh some of the data, some of the Mars data on, on cosmos, uh, he wanted to include it. And he said, you know, he said, it's probably just a rock formation, but if we're going to go there, we might as well take a look anyway. He was, you know, I think he sort of played both sides. I think he was much more curious than he, um, 
he was allowed to be. I think he probably my my guess is that he had to give up a little bit of his uh, autonomy. Yes. To be the spokesperson. It's sort of like, you know, as you get older and you don't need to do this for a living, you have your own gig and you can do this uh, on your own, uh, that you can be a little bit more free and and, uh, you know, pursue, you know, follow the science. And um, so, yeah, he he. And in fact, you know, because of that, you know, he made that statement. People had been thinking for years about, well, let's look, let's see if there's anything on the far side of the moon. And, um, you know, there, we actually, I don't think we ever talked about this on your show. We had published a paper a few years ago about some objects that we did find on the far side of the moon. Oh. Um, well, and the Chinese have... didn't land all that far from them. Um, but, you know, who knows what's going on? Um, maybe maybe uh, Dick Holden will tell you. Well, next time he calls, uh, um, yes, because I keep trying to get find, get back in touch with him, but we seem to fail uh, over the period of time. And I have, a, I, by the way, I have an enormous respect for him for what he went through. I don't know how he could have controlled himself as well as he did. At, at times, maybe he didn't do as well as he should, uh, all times, but, but the stress that he was put under... He became quite a, a leader, whether he was right or wrong, uh, and and uh, unfortunately caused uh, some problems in our never getting, ever being able to find anything out from NASA, because I'm afraid that when he made certain points, uh, it was embarrassing to them, and I don't think they're ever going to uh, accept that. Yeah, you know, we, we, we sort of, year, uh, 20 20 plus years ago, we kind of parted ways um, because I, I didn't really want to follow him and some of follow up on some of the things he was uh, looking at the, you know, some, some of these ideas about glass cities on the moon and, and then started getting into conspiracy theories and all that. I, I totally respect where he's coming from. He's an extremely intelligent guy oh, and sure. he's very creative yeah. and uh, he's, He's been an important part of the of the Mars investigation and, and all these other investigations. I mean, he's added so many so many important ideas. Um, and uh, you know, I I you know people criticize him. He, he certainly hasn't made a lot of money. He's you know he's he's you know no one's made a lot of money doing this. We, we're doing sure. we do this because we care. And we're passionate about it. And that's about it. We have lost. We're up. We're finished right about now. We're out of time. Is that is that true, Doctor Cortner? We got 35 seconds. What would you like to say in 35 seconds? So, uh, so the book is not of this world. Uh, you can buy it on Amazon. The website is not of this world. UFO, all one word, dot com. It's a blog that has articles, uh, ongoing research. Uh, I posted one today uh, titled "Ongoing Sightings of UAP uh, Over Long Island, New York." These are some sightings from a couple of weeks ago. Goodbye, boys.